Welcome to the B-Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life without taking ourselves too seriously. I'm Brad Kearns, New York Times bestselling author, former number three world-ranked professional triathlete, and Guinness World Record Masters athlete. I connect with experts in diet, fitness, and personal growth and deliver short breather shows where you get simple, actionable tips to improve your life right away. Let's explore beyond the hype, hacks, shortcuts, and sciency talk to laugh, have fun, and appreciate the journey. It's time to be rad. Sprinting is an art form, otherwise we'd be sprinting 30 meters in a race. Hey ladies, you may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhance pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Hey listeners, I am so excited to introduce the fastest human who has ever lived on the planet over age 45. That's right. He is the world record holder in Masters 100 meters. He broke the record in 2023 with a time of 10.72. His name is Lion Martinez, and he's from Stockholm, Sweden. He coaches a thriving group of other Masters sprinters and uh, younger national level sprinters there. So he's doing some great work in the space. He has some really novel and super interesting, fascinating ideas about how to train for sprinting and destroying some of the misconceptions and the uh, notions that we misinterpret about what it means to be a truly explosive athlete. So I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this show. I was so excited to introduce him that I went on talking in an intro for around six minutes. So I decided to save that recording to make it a breather show and have people listen to that and then be inspired to listen to our conversation that went on for over an hour and could have gone on for a couple more hours. But um, I'm going to let Lion uh, save most of the insights for Lion to describe them himself. But suffice to say that this show will be super valuable for any and all fitness enthusiasts, especially as you realize the importance of developing that 
competency in explosive all-out efforts and how to do them correctly because it's such a high-risk ordeal to go out there and try to sprint, especially if you don't have a background. So he's going to tell you how to get started gently at the very end of the show and also go through all kinds of uh, valuable information, including some scientific stuff that he explains really nicely so that we can all uh, follow along. So let's listen to the world's fastest man over age 45. It's Lion Martinez from Sweden. Lion Martinez, thank you for joining me all the way from the great nation of Sweden. Thank you. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Uh, some of my listeners might be hardcore sprinting fans and masters track and field, but I think everybody will be excited to know that I'm talking to the fastest man who has ever lived over age 45. It's incredible. And you just broke the world record this year. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it is crazy, at least the fastest under these conditions. So being old, I guess, but yeah, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, I was talking about uh, Usain Bolt on a certain show and this and that. And um, I got a letter from someone uh, challenging me saying, uh, how can you be sure that Usain Bolt is the fastest human that's ever lived? Um, don't you think uh, one of our uh, primal caveman ancestors was possibly faster? And I say, absolutely no possible way. And I shot back at him pretty strong because the, and you described this beautifully, uh, you know, the art of sprinting and the technique involved, it's not just uh, running out your door and chasing a lion as fast as you can go. You're actually going to be slower than a well-practiced sprinter. So um, I, I don't know, would you contend that uh, Usain Bolt's the fastest human that's ever lived and and you're the fastest old guy who's ever been on the planet? Yeah, I think it's arbitrary to start bringing in too much chaos theory into this and say, yeah, there might have been a probable genetic com compilation of muscles and bone uh, as an organism on the planet, but we have to go what we've measured yeah, under the under the circumstances and you know then you can start going down a rabbit hole of maximum speed this and that but the set distance is the ones we have in the olympics that those are the ones we measured now that's just it yeah i had a great class in uc santa barbara college this professor named david young and he was considered the world's leading expert on the ancient greek olympics and he made this really persuasive argument that because the ancient Olympics ran for somewhere around 800 or 1,000 years, I believe, and the top performers were among the richest citizens in society because their victories were celebrated. They went back to their uh, their areas with the, the olive wreath. And so he contended that pretty soon it became quite professional and the athletes would train and train as their main occupation. Um, and then you imagine the progression for 800 years rather than 120 of what we've had. And so he argues that um, some of those times and performances from antiquity could be comparable to today if you adjust for all the, the technique and equipment. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's just look back 70 years or so. We'll look at Jesse Oldman, Owens and, uh, you know, great performance. Uh, uh, all of these athletes are, of course, amazing. I mean, but again, we just have to use the measurements and the recordings what what we have but it's 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 a fun thing to speculate speculate about now you know sprinting i mean again great athletes but we progress in technique and form and learn about biomechanics and 
the internal components of muscle fibers and so forth and so on. So, uh, you know, you have to, you have to, it's same, same as boxing. You'll have, you'll have golden years and eras and, you know, these kind of things. And some, and you'll say that boxer would beat that boxer and have fun speculating, but it could be beautiful in the way it is. You know, you'll have this era's champion and have that era's, era's champion. And um, the only thing we can go off of when it comes to sprinting is we have recorded times. This man is run the fastest and then we can speculate. Yeah, and you, you hear a lot of talk about, it, a lot of it's kind of blather from the fitness marketing industry, how we've had uh, so many advancements and innovations and today in, in, in diet and recovery um, but I'm not so sure that um, we're understanding this really well. I can also look at uh, decades ago, like you mentioned Jesse Owens, or you mentioned um, Bob Hayes, who uh, American uh, Americans might be familiar because he had a great football career with the Dallas Cowboys, but he won the gold medal in 1964, running 10 flat in a muddy lane one without any uh, any of the advancements. And a lot of people can uh, slash a few tenths off that to compare to today's top sprinter. So we've had people running uh, quite similar times at the top level for decades. And so what is important with technological and training and recovery advancements and what's kind of um, not such a big deal that we're we're not getting? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, specifically recovery and understanding the cellular activities and so forth and, and what happens inside the body is, of course, great leaps compared to 60 years ago, 70 years ago. Um, it was all all experience and, and anecdotes at that time, but everything's a progression. It leads to what we know today. And of, yeah, we're going to be more optimal today. That's for sure, because we can measure things. We have tools, we have labs and so forth and much of course all the experience from what has been um i still believe that the combination is the best i mean it's, it's very few that have access to to labs or blood tests and all these things right so we have to learn with experience and listen to coaches and athletes that's been around for a long time because it's a lifelong learning process and listen to those teachings so i think it's very important and to not only look at studies not only look at lab results and reports and, and look what a specific uh, substance does isolated and you know tested only on mice and such but we learn from it and we become better I think but I mean the same thing in 20 years from now 30 years from now you know we're gonna add on to what we have today so and we're gonna do the same we're gonna have the same conversations about well you know Bolt versus this guy or that guy you know but I think I think as a sport it's just beautiful to see the progression it's beautiful to see athletes in motion, and 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 that's about it for me. I think that's a, that's a big motivator for me to keep doing this and apply the things that you're speaking about to myself, and having to be more specific as I grow older as well. Of course, recovery is the main thing that's becoming, with every week and year, more important uh, to to get right and to respect. Yeah, perhaps the biggest innovation or or the greatest progress has been to keep athletes going for longer. Um, so I should ask, like, what were the records in the, the masters M45, they call it the 45 to 49 division, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 and 50 years ago, they've probably been taken down like crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's just a masters there, there, there has been masters championships and races since the eighties. I know this in the early eighties and such, but it's 10, tenfold as many people that does it now. So, mm. I mean. 
And and if you look at it as a whole, or if you look at it as a singly singular efforts, as with myself, for example, I mean, I'm also a uh, a result of more people doing it because otherwise I wouldn't know about it. And you know, having prominent athletes that were big before, former Olympians, Matthias Sonneborn is one of them. You know, long jumper been in the Olympics with Carl Lewis and such in the finals, and coming into Masters because he's the he's the the person in 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 our country that really made this popular. So there's an easy way in. Um, so. I think it's the same thing. You have to look at that too. The the records are going to be broken. Uh, it's just a it's just a thing of life. I'm just happy to be able to done it with the the, the events that I do. Well, someone's going to break it again. I'm just the but the so that's the thing. I think that the the it was for example uh, Willie Banks and you know Willie Galt and these guys and also the other ones in the other events that break records now all over the place my accomplishment is equal to theirs and vice versa that's how i see it i respect it as much i just happen to run faster but it's just breaking it at some point in your career you know but someone's always going to run faster because they have more talent i'll be that you have to have all the pieces and components as well you have to be a little crazy and dedicated you have to do all these things right and it is of course raising the bar running faster but i think it's equal if so so someone that did it in the 1980s or, or me doing it now the the challenge is the same and i think the the accolade is the same because we're running in in what we have in the area we have and what you have around you will help too so the people you run against and race against how many they are how fast they go the shoes you have and all the recovery mechanics and all this stuff so but i'm just happy to have crossed that off these things off my list but i'll i'll keep trying so so i'd love to go to your background now and how you uh, came to this point um, you told me briefly you were a pretty uh, elite level sprinter in your youth, um, but I think you said you weren't quite as disciplined and focused as you are now as a more mature, older person. But uh, take us through your your athletic background, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say local elite, but that's about it. I mean, you have to look at it at a global level. To, but that said, I think the talent was still there. I just didn't manage it well because I was young and I had a lot of things in my life that kind of took precedence from the discipline needed to develop your skill and to dedicate yourself. It's hard when you're young and you have lots of things going and, you know, even though you're coming from a young person to an adult stage and you see your friends, they go further in life and academia and career and, you know, all this stuff, right? So, and, and, and I was slightly lazy to begin with. So, that creates a problem because you're not progressing as fast, which means you're not getting as much reward from it. So when you see all these external things and that is a draw for you, it becomes difficult to stay as motivated as needed. So I just came to the conclusion, you know, to, to see that, well, you know, the, the, the time and effort needed to take myself to the next stage is not really there. So, and this was, uh, you know, the early, my early twenties, um, but I did sports. I did sports all my life. Come from a sporting family. I did hockey, wrestling, and all these kind of mm -hmm. things. This was always in sports. Sweden, Lion? Yeah, so this was in Sweden. I did go to college in the United States to oh. uh, in, in Texas, yeah. But that was Weird. track and field. Track and oh. field, yeah. So so my, my it was basically my hockey uh, was overlapping with my track and field, but I chose track and field at 15, 16 mm -hmm. due to liking it more, basically. A little brittle to compare to the guys, the rough guys playing <laughs> hockey. They're a little bit bigger, a bit more, you know, less finessed kind of in their movements. 
and I was very fast. I had like my muscles a little bit more brittle, not that mm. that you know, same as with American football players, a little bit more stocky, a little bit more strong, a little bit more uh, robust, so to speak. You know, had a little impact on all this stuff. And I also was also more of a solo person when it came to sports. I just enjoyed being measured and beating people uh, with results instead of being part of a team, even though I loved that too. But diff- it's a different environment. So I was, I was, I was, the, I started when I was 11, uh, track and field, mm. and I, I got out of it basically when I was 23, 24. But I really quit 21. I really started tapering back and not doing it as much anymore. So did you come so, to Texas for the uh, athletic opportunity to, to run on, yeah. on, a, on a certain track team? What school? So Beaumont College, mm-hmm. so Lamar. Sorry, not Beaumont College, Beaumont Town, uh, Lamar University. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, the problem for me was that it wasn't made for me in the way I saw sprinting and sprint training. And it was very communal and it was more towards 400-meter sprinting. And I was terrible at that at that time. So, But the, the school was great. So it really got me motivated for my career instead. So, uh, so it kind of catalyst, I guess, for kind of started thinking about life in a different way. So long story short, I did win the nationals. You know, I did 1045, then 10.32 I did, but the 10.32 never came through with the wind reading, so it's not official. I had a few good races. That time was play one. Um, and then I got injured the year after because I thought I was the best guy on the planet, and I started remote training with a coach, and I just didn't follow it because I was lazy. Mm. Pulled my hamstring. It took a year to get back, and that combined with everything else, kind of like, ah, I don't know. I went back to do a 200 uh, medal at the, at the Nationals, and I also was participating in the European Championships at one time. But that was about it. So it was elite local, but not not in any way. 1032 is not enough to be able to be elite on a global level. So mm-hmm. so that was about it. So then you immersed into, I mean, now we have a 20-year time gap that you can maybe tell us how you spent your time. I guess you pursued career and things off the track. Um, yeah, I think you related that you, um, you got out of shape and the whole thing. So I'd love to, uh, get us back to, um, when you decide to return to the track. Yeah. So I was away for 10 years about, you know, the career thing and all this stuff. Um, I got insanely overweight for me as I was over 220 pounds, something like this, you know, that's 105, 110 kilos. And for me, a guy that's supposed to- Either way, it's too much, man. Kilos or pants, doesn't matter. Wasn't good pounds either, you know? I was was eating myself to death. Long story short, 10 years later, uh, so my grandfather passed away and he had a brain aneurysm. So I I just knew I I just couldn't live that life because I was going the same path. I was not feeling good. I was a bad person. All my physical levels would drop in. <clears throat> so quit cold turkey, all that stuff. I started mm-hmm. losing weight. I went to the gym. I, I burned it off in about eight months of just eating better, going to the gym, no cardio. And started remembering that I was fast at one time. So I was looking into, I was I was looking, I knew Matthias Sunderborn, he was doing it. He was an Olympic jumper again, right? So he was doing it and he, I had him on social media. So I was looking at his accomplishments and I looked at the world list of men 35 and I saw What's the fastest guy? Well, he done 1066. A guy called uh, Baba Tunde Ridley is an amazing sprinter. 1066. And I saw, I thought to myself, okay, maybe not this year, but I've done the time at one time. Uh, why do I need to get to the final? About 11, 2, 3. So I, was, I think I'll do this, right? So I started doing sprinting. 
came back to the Masters National that year, 2014, after three months of training. I went, and uh, it went it went good because I won locally. I did 11-5. I did. So that's the Swedish champion in the 35 and over. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so I did that. And I, I, I just, it was such uh, an amazing feeling running 100 meters again. It was just like coming home. So, and, and I uh, thought, I'm going to work on this now and let's see where we can go. So that was uh, almost almost a decade ago now. Yeah. And you had the opportunity to join an organized program in in Sweden that was uh, training with other masters or how did you uh, how did you train? No, um, so there are a few groups around, uh, but I had a lot of experience from before. Um, my during the time I won the the, the senior championships this 1999 I, I i pro i did the programs myself for a year and a half so i started implementing those programs to start training myself and then other athletes started gravitating towards training with me and i said sure absolutely so, you know so creating an environment where you train with like-minded people in the same situation so been going better and better since then and the programs have been progressing too uh so you're coaching uh pretty actively these days other other sprinters yeah exactly so local group of sprinters so seniors and mostly masters um yeah some of them are doing quite well i understand yeah i i mean i there's something i mean i i value their performances more than my own it's there's nothing beating someone you've helped to achieve things so since we started they have basically all he beat every year, every year for, for all of these years. And they, we all get older, but they still PB. I still get to, I can squeeze some more juice out of them. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's, it's great. So I, I, I mentioned a few of them in, in, in different, uh, contexts, but I mean, Sarah coming back, uh, after like, you know, 12 years, 15 years or so, she's 35 winning the world championships at 35. She was in the finals of the seniors in Sweden, and she's over 35. That's amazing. 7.49 at the 60 meters. That's incredible. And we have Morten, my athlete. I posted about him a few times. From, you know, ranked number 20, 25 in the world to his first medal now. He's 56 now. Like 10 years in the game now, and his first European medal this year. And he's just keep getting faster, and it's just amazing to see them grow and develop. So... It also, there's a, there's a secondary or a meta effect here that you can validate your programming because you, you remove all the, not all of it, but a lot of the talent pool and they're, they're not, they're not young people becoming grownups. So they're not getting nothing for free. It's quite the opposite. So when you see these athletes progress and get faster, you know, your programming and your, the way you coach the, the art of sprinting and their form, you know, it's working. So, so we're, we're not talking about, um, triathletes training for hours and putting in many miles. However, the dedication required to get faster and faster and for a group of people to set PBs and for you to compete at the highest level, I mean, didn't you, um, compete in, 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 in Swedish nationals as well? Uh, this year or, or recently? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always my goal to do so. Um, I, I've been so close making a final now, uh, oh. 
it's kind of the thing that is still there for me, which is, which is, it's, it, there's a beauty in that to not getting there because you always need something to motivate you. So, um, for, for two, three years now or so I've been in semis and almost making the final. So I'll, I think I'll be there this winter or next year. I wonder if there's any ego involved with the, the, the younger athletes in their prime. They, they probably really support what you're doing and are huge fans and have that camaraderie as, as fellow Swedes, but like, do you want to get beaten by a 45-year-old guy when you when you think you're trying to go for the nationals in your country? Yeah, I don't think you want to, but but life is what it is. It's competitive and, you know, I'm a competitor, so, you know, I think it's I think it's good for the sport somewhere because you show what you can actually do. You you show people what you can actually do. And if 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 I beat you, you're not going to get a medal anyway. And that is really what matters. Yeah, it's a tough sport that way. You you get on paper exactly how valued you are in all the time you put in. And, you know, you, you put yourself in this fight, right? So you have to be ready to fight. Yeah, it's probably one of the best things about sports is it's so honest and, and raw and, and completely exposed. And you're out there giving it your best. And I think um, you, you build so much respect for your fellow competitors, whatever age they are or whether they... You know, we used to joke about getting beat by a girl in a long distance race. And now a woman last week uh, ran 211 in the marathon. And so mm. um, that's a time that would qualify for the Olympic trials in the United States as a man. So there's no more, uh, you know, if she ran 26 miles and if you ran 212, you're probably still pretty happy. You're still an outstanding athlete, but it is what it is out there. There's no storytelling. That's it. That's it. We are exposed and naked completely. And this is the beauty of the sport, right? So, but putting yourself through this, I think, creates a better organism. Uh, you, there's discipline and you, you get to face yourself in ways that the majority of people planets on the planet are not going to. You get to find out who you are, especially when you're on a starting line of a world championship and you're dead tired. Day five, day six, mm. you have seven other guys or, or girls, wherever you, whichever, you know, you, you compete in that wants it equally much, you know? So you have to, you have to just put out, put yourself out there and who am I? Am I going to get myself out of bed to do this one more time? You know, to, to, and you just hate it, but you love it at the same time. And I have two, two comments on, on this thing is that, uh, I've been so humbled by all the in incredible kind words. These young competitors have been giving me, I think 30 years ago, I don't think the caliber of, of us around of competing then would have had that way of good speaking about how they how they how they how they are motivated and inspired but what I do mm. I and I am by them too I give it back and I you know every time I compete and people come up and say like you know that's amazing that you do this and it's great and stuff I, I've been really humbled by this so I that's another part of this it's not only about being competitive but these young young guys are just amazing that way so receptive uh, and number two, I remember there was a news article about Matthias again, Cineborn, the, the long jumper. Uh, it was about 10 years ago or so, maybe 12, because he was offered a, a spot on the national team for uh, you know a national event they had. And they asked him, so don't you feel bad about taking this place from a, from a young guy or something? And he said, no, why would I? I earned it. I, right. I just jumped further so why shouldn't i there's not there's no, no such thing i was better i get picked and that's it and that's really what it's about yeah what a quote i mean he yeah. can he could have stopped with no and then let everyone figure that out oh my gosh yeah 
Yeah. So what is the training schedule like and what type of dedication is required now, um, especially at your age where you can't cut the corners like perhaps a college student could and they stayed up late, they show up to practice, they bang out another session, they go about their merry way. But now it seems like you have to have so many things optimized to run 10.72 seconds, 100 meters for those listening that don't have a reference point. Um, boy, I mean, you are, you know, a, a blink behind the, the fastest man in the world. And like I said, the fastest man ever at your age. Yeah, and this is a big question. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. Have to have to optimize. I think um, you have to f start at the bottom and, and and consider how many times per week can I really sprint maximum. That that's it. So and and that's about two times, give or take. Sometimes three, sometimes one. Mm. So we have to learn to be patient, and we have to learn the skill of resting, and that's just it. When you get injured, you go backwards. If you stay injury-free at this age, there's a possibility of going forward. And that's difficult because it's so ingrained in us that we train more, we get better. But that's not the truth because we are not a computer. It's not a zero and one. So it is this, the needle of your fatigue and your fitness needs to always be dialed in. So the fitness fatigue paradigm basically you have to respect. And... Uh, relationship between the two gets shifted as we age we have to be more long term and we have to have a slower progression with our fitness we have to have a faster progression with our fatigue management so we have to rest more often and rest more and the problem is short term our brain can easily overcome these things mm. and, and feel that oh no i'm ready to go again and that might not be the case three weeks down the line so you have to learn by experience. And for me, that was easy because when I came back, I, I did just what I did when I was 24, 23. I trained for five weeks straight, one rest day per week. And then I had a slower week that things didn't work, especially not then because I came in uh, with no fitness and I was the organism was not ready to do it. So I, I, I quickly had to cut that down to three weeks of work and then one week of very little volume and, and, and very few times of training during that week. And then I started seeing like, okay, now I can progress. And then that evolved into something more complex where, you know, you start playing with the blocks, the weeks and the micro periods of, I can go a little harder this week, but then I have to go a little slower next week and so forth. And you start building this complex programming uh, over time. And so you, you grow into it, but Learning how to rest and, and, and be confident with that is, is extremely difficult, especially if you are, say that you're, take this as an example, if you're a 400 meter sprinter and you're used to training a lot and all the time, and but this is not going to work if you're 50 years old compared to when you're 20, you're going to have to learn to rest. Otherwise, you're going to get in trouble. So that's really it. Just summarizing everything of that is just learn, learn how much you can train and what and when, and then learn to just be patient and love resting too. <laughs> so, That's great. Uh, but there, that, there, there are layers of there are layers to this, but then, you know, we would be here all week if you speak about everything, but that's, that's, well, I feel like you're, uh, you're, you're, you're hitting me personally in the heart or, or the stomach, either one now, man. Cause I feel like, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be smart and intuitive. I have a lot of athletic experience, but something you mentioned is really important where um, you can't tell 
that you screwed up until a little bit further down the road. And so I go out there, I feel great, I'm enthusiastic, I'm competitive, I love my high jump practice, I'll take 20 practice jumps instead of a maximum of 12, which I understand a lot of elite athletes will limit any session to, to or competition to no more than that. And then uh, I start to feel it in the aftermath, where at the time, if you came up and, and grabbed me by the throat and said, hey, what are you doing? I'd say, oh, I feel great. I think I can nail it. Uh, you know, I can get my uh, my curve right on, on one more try. Okay, one more try after that. And I guess that's a problem that you've certainly run into, like you described when you, when you came back after a 10-year layoff. But then how do you learn and put these principles and um, you called it the... Um, uh, 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 the paradigm of fitness and and recovery fatigue yeah fitness oh, fitness and fatigue paradigm. paradigm yeah 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 so and to 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 ask that specifically first um there's a a super good scientist and, and doctor called Mike Stone I, you know if you're listening to this check him out on YouTube he's working with the NSCAA um he's one of their advisors and he has lots of lectures online and the fitness fatigue paradigm, I mean, it's probably a, someone else who coined this phrase, but it's pretty simple. You train, your fitness is going to go up. But at the same time, your fatigue goes up too. Mm. At some point, you cannot train anymore or the body is going to adapt in ways you don't want for your sport. And that ties into the other conversation or the other side of this coin is that our human survival is built on longevity and, and endurance and all these things, right? So if you're a, if you're a distance runner or a wrestler and so forth, a very cardio heavy sport, you can do more, vol more volume, you can train more often because it's not as taxing for the nervous system and you're building components that is going to help you for your sport. But this means you are signaling your body from your brain that you need more recovery and that means more oxygen and that means more oxygen carrying muscle fiber, which is slow twitch muscle fiber. So you're actually preparing yourself for doing less high intense work. Your body's going to get worse on handling a lot of high intense work, for example, sprinting or lifting. So you're getting less performance based. You're getting more survival based, right? So if you're a sprinter or a thrower or someone that's very explosive things, if you add a lot of volume, uh, you're, you're going to get slower. It's as simple as that because the body's not going to want to get injured. So especially if you do that over a long period of time, and then you add a lot of intensity to your volume and you're not built for it, then you're going to get injured. And adding to all of this madness, right, there are different types of fatigue or energy systems or things that give you the ability to do things as the nervous system, which can get fatigued. There's uh, your muscle fibers that can get broken down and so forth and micro, micro damages. And then there's the emotional and mental fatigue from, from different things like the emotional I mean, as a coach, for example, if I have an athlete that, that speaks, uh, comes talk, uh, come come and talk to me about how bad his or her relationship is, or you know they're breaking up or losing losing a job or whatever it is, I cannot run that athlete as hard because it's going to it's going to negatively affect that person, both as a human being and vice versa in in track, right? So we have to manage all these things. So you can build a system, but you have to be adaptive within the system. And also you have to be ready to, again, ease up and increase from there rather than trying to go maximum in everything, all variables, and then try to pull back. You're just going to end up in trouble. Hmm. And, and this is, this is difficult. This is, this is what everyone's trying to solve. 
there's no perfect system. We have to have, because human, human organism is not static. So we have to work with this and it's very, very difficult to get it right. But I think I am a system that is very good for many. And then you have to do one-to-one conversations with the athlete. And if you don't have a coach, you're going to have to be hard on yourself. So the last thing I'll say about this, uh, before getting too in technical or too long-winded is the human body is very good at doing a lot of things on one day. It's very good. You can go all day because you have re, uh, you have reserve systems in place where you can borrow from yourself and you can add supplements to this like caffeine, for example. Caffeine stimulates the nervous system because it's a poison. It's plant poison. So everything starts sparking and happening and your, your heart rate's going to go up and all this stuff. The blood pressure is going to go up, get you ready to do things. But you're borrowing from yourself. So you're going to have to pay for that at some point. And you, if you, I mean, that's why people don't go. And no, you're never going to see a world-class athlete go seven hard days in a row. It's not going to happen. They can go seven hard days with low intensity and lots of volume or, mm. or seven days of very low volume and high intense, but not all of these variables at once. Then you're going to get into trouble. Once you're broken down, you're losing so much time, right? So we have to be very comfortable with, okay, coach says, I'm going to rest today. That's what I'm going to do. And so I hope I, hope I was yeah, yeah, super off. helpful. And one thing occurs to me, uh, there seems to be that straight trade-off where if you have an endurance-related goal and an explosive power sprint-related goal, you're just going to be um, asking too much. And I'm referencing, like, I, I like to compete in um, professional speed golf, which is running the course, which is five miles. So I have to have some endurance competency. But then I also announce that I have important goals in high jump and, and track and field sprinting. And so I, I realized a few years ago, like, I'm going to have to pick one and just let the other be completely discarded because when you when you layer in real endurance training, and I'm talking about going out there for 45 minutes or 60 minutes, steady heart rate, um, as many endurance athletes are familiar with, you're not going to have you're not going to have much success with uh, doing um, a four second explosive high jump effort or, uh, you know, a 15 second hundred meters or a minute for 400 meters. Yeah, exactly. And and this, we have to accept this fact, but yes, can you be better at everything over time? Yes, you can, but there will be trade-offs at some point, like world-class level, world level, you know, athletes are going to be specialists. Now, with sports that are multi, say, say the decathlon, you need to be good at many things. Um, you can raise everything, but you can never be as you, you'll never be as good as everyone else on the you know each separate event. Um, because and this is the thing, right? We know that your cardiovascular ability will go up and down faster than say speed components. It takes a lot longer to get tissue and tendons stiff and all that is required for that, you know, fast which muscle fiber. So you can play with these in emphasis. Like I am, I put emphasis on this now. I, I de-emphasis that now, you know, and, and you can raise one component, but it only works so far. When you start to become extreme, uh, you, you're going to have to make compromises. It's just simple as that because the body adapts and that's why we get better or worse. It's homeostasis. We, it's a good thing because it makes us adapt to the stimuli, but it's also a bad thing because it stops adapting when you stop doing something and you do something mm. else and you're going to go. And we have to also, this is also a paradigm with the slow and fast stuff. Like I said, human evolution 
and and longevity and, and this stuff is because we are a cardiovascular organism. So it's easy for us to, in, to, to improve survivability by increasing red blood cells and, you know, the, the amount of, of oxygen uh, metabolization that happens where we do a lot of long things or carry a lot of stuff. We're not very good at doing fast things. It's just a survival mechanic in itself. It does a small thing when you have to run away from something, but it's much better for the organism to be good at staying alive through doing, you know, being, being, being able to do things for a long time. It's better for the mm. organism. That's how we survived and all little food and, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. So, and, and all the planet earth, human beings are, are one of the most cardiovascularly good organisms of mm -hmm. all animals. Very few animals can do like 10 hours straight running or that kind of stuff. Like it's not good for them. They're built different. But anyway, long story short. So for speed athletes, speed, power, and explosive athletes, we have to be careful specifically with steady state cardio. It doesn't mean we don't need any aerobic capabilities. We do because it's part of recovery. But we need to find where the balance is before one starts compromising on the what actually delivers the results we want in our sport. That's interesting. I've, I've never heard uh, this point expressed where you contend that um, the, the sprinting and the explosive stuff is, is, is kind of unnatural for the human. And so when we're training to be a sprinter, it's quite different than training to be an endurance athlete, which we hear all these uh, amazing uh, evolutionary uh, anthropology insights that the human is built for endurance and we have all these capabilities. Uh, but when we're talking about sprinting, of course we can uh, run off at, you know, for, for a life or death burst of speed, but then going to practice and, and putting together sessions, um, it, that's where the, the risk comes in because we're, we're not adapted to be hardcore sprinters trying to eke out tenths of a second off our time. Hey ladies, you may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits. You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhance pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Yeah, and again, multiple components to this specifically. Um, 
So, so if we, if we, if, if we knew that sprinting more as in incredibly a lot more would be beneficial for our results, everyone would sprint every day, but we know we, we can't because we have to recover and mm -hmm. we know we can only do a certain amount of reps. And that has been also through the evolutional practices and programming and this stuff. So this is the reason why we kept a certain amount of reps because even fast sprinting after a while will become aerobic because we require so much recovery. So the more, again, fatigue, fitness fatigue, once we, our fatigue starts to climb incredibly high, the organism will start to be slower because it needs more cells to recover and more, 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 more of that type of uh, muscle fiber. So even if I had the capabilities of sprinting 100 reps per day, at, at some point I will get slower and slower because mm. I just say my, my brain will signal, oh, we need more recovery. We need more recovery. This organism is about to die because we cannot move blood enough, fast enough around with ox enough oxygen. This organism is not doing good mm. among other things as well. So that is why small doses of sprinting fully rested is the best way to go about it. And there's a secondary, so here's that, here's the end part, which is ties into what you said here is sprinting is an art form. Otherwise we'd be sprinting 30 meters in a race. It's similar to many sports. Like you take darts, for example, you have a certain amount of rounds because at the top level, everyone's so good. They won't miss five in a row. But if you put 30 throws in a row, they might miss one of them if they're top level. So you need something skill brought into the, the, the sport to differentiate between the gold medal and the bronze medal or mm. the silver medal. Yeah. So that's why we run 100 meters because we cannot run 100 meters maximum. We cannot, it's not possible. We decelerate, everyone decelerates. Even though you're not doing nine five, you will be decelerating for a certain amount of time. So that's why there's an art of sprinting. It's not running or, you know, manipulating yourself to 30 meters and throwing yourself over the line because there's no skill involved. It's a, it's a skill. It's not running as fast as you can. It's sprinting. It's a, it's a constructed form to be optimal over 100 meters. If I want to run 30 meters maximum, my form doesn't matter that much because I can just blast out all my power I have and throw myself over the line. But we don't do that. That's not the sport. Same with swimming, et cetera. It's always a little long, like 400 meters. It's way too long, really. Yeah. We know that lactate, uh, the lactate uh, metabolism or in the way of how much the cell can buffer and, and you know, burn before it starts pushing out, pouring out into the muscle is about 22.5 seconds. Mm. So if you push it to 27 seconds, mm. we say if we push it to 27 seconds, that's about optimal. Everything else is really not a part of the event 400, but we do 400 to add components that require skill and more training. That's what we have 100, 200, and 400 just to differentiate and to create a more of a skillful uh, way of displaying our, you know, our physical prowess, I think. So, so we have to look at it as that. That's why it's like, it's a skill of sprinting. It's an art form and we have to spread it out, distribute it 100 meters. When we train, we have to dose it small. So the athlete is rested and can train this skill. That's how it's tied together. You can only train the perfect art and skill form when you are at least somewhat rested, if you're not rested, you're going to run in a way that you are energy efficient. So then you're not sprinting anymore, right? Your ground contacts become too long. You're dipping in your knee because you cannot handle the pressure of, you know, mm -hmm. get another contact maximum and so forth. 
again, I'm I'm blabbering now, but but this is part of it. It's a big package, and if oh sure this this is how we get to the results in our event the first spring. Yeah, and I think a lot of recreational fitness enthusiasts are completely missing um, this important component of functional full body total fitness, which is to be truly explosive and to train those energy systems that allow you to go maximum speed. And so I want to come back to a couple of those um, time checkpoints you mentioned. Um, so, so the research shows that the the ATP is exhausted in the cell after about whatever they say, seven or eight seconds of maximum effort. That's why you said um, everyone's decelerating, even the world record in the 100 meters, um, you're slowing down after hitting top speed. And then you're you're realizing that, you know, um, some some borrowing has to come to keep the legs moving uh, after after that brief maximum potential explosiveness. Uh, but then you're talking about this 22.5 second checkpoint, something like that. So that's when the, is that when the second energy system is exhausted, the lactate, and we have to go into a little bit of glucose burning. And so there's another need to slow down or what is, what does that checkpoint represent? Oh yeah, but it's the opposite. So after ATP and creatine, and we usually say about 3.5 seconds. Oh, 3.5. So yeah, that's the true leading it. Yeah. Okay. So like a power lifter lifting the heaviest weight for the record is going with full maximum explosiveness. And it takes them 3.5 to lift the bar. Yeah. About right. So yeah. it differs depending on who you are and how you exert yourself. But say we say three, let's say 3.5 about, and then, then there's the glucose or glycosis part from 3.5 to about seven, seven and a half. Okay. Yeah, and you, you can, so so if you put those together, 3.5, and then you have you have about about seven seconds to go. This can go up and down a little bit, and you see different studies, but then you have around 10 seconds, right? So 9, 5, 10 seconds, right? But even the glucose, the uh, glucose uh, metabolism is not as efficient as the first part. So usually what happens, you'll see, you see uh, world-class sprinters, they'll reach top speed with, you know, the ATP creatine system about, they'll peak that about when that starts to deplete, it's kind of goes together, right? So you're peaking your max speed, you're, you're using all that energy to get the mass going, you peak, then you, then you, then you hold for about three more seconds or so, and then you start decelerating something about the sorts, three, four seconds more, you know, huh. and then you're into the glucose system and, you know, gl oh, sorry, glucose. <clears throat> So, and, and that'll start depleting as well. We know this. And then lactate comes in. Uh, and that whole process, we don't have to go into here. There's so much you can read about that. And there's so many uh, people that know about what that is and means. But what happens, which is interesting, is about 22.5 seconds. That's why it's so important when you're a sprinter to try to finish a 200-meter race under 22.5 because hey, yeah, you will listen up, people. Decelerate. Yeah, you will seriously decelerate. Yes, what happens is the cell, the cell is buffering all this lactate to use as fuel for moving the legs, even moving the legs. At some point, it will not be able to hold all this lactate. I am paraphrasing a little bit here, just to mm -hmm. maybe generalizing, but it starts to spill out in the muscle, and that's when you start your, your legs going dead from there on, which usually happens from 250 meters or so from a, you know, a, a good level sprinter or coming up to the 300 meter in the, in the 400 meter, you know, about when you come off the bend, that's when it's going to get really tough because what it does efficiently, what it if, or effectively does 
we know about, you know, it creates hydrogen ions and this stuff and, and lowers the pH value, which is why you feel nauseous after all of this stuff. But what actually happens, which is more interesting from a mechanical standpoint, uh, is that it starts to turn off muscle fiber clusters. Mm. So the reason for deceleration in a longer sprint is because you have less motors or less cylinders in your legs doing the same amount of work. So you're going to go slower. Simple as that. And it's turning them off. The the brain is turning them off to protect against perceived damage, like uh, central governor theory, where that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. You're, it wants you to stop. It doesn't want you to, right. It wants you to stop because you're poisoned. You're poisoned. Mm. All of this lactates, all of this you know toxic stuff is out in your muscle fibers and your 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 in the blood in the blood. Right? You you the pH value goes that value goes down. And, you need to stop and rest. It's not made for human beings, but it's, mm. I mean, and that's why it's such a difference. If you have a world-class 400 meter sprinter doing, uh, say, a 43, 44, that's incredible. Like compared to a master's athlete that does 51 mm. and or someone doing 55, that's over 10 more seconds of work. So it's a lot more aerobic than at that point, And you're going to be the subject. That's why that's, you know, a side thing, but I, I'm advocating for certain age groups to earlier go to 300. That should be 300. It's there's oh. pointing, forcing someone to, you know, to run more than a nine, eight or 400. Yeah. It's kind of like my, anyway. that, that's great. It's like my contention with the Ironman that the, the Ironman shouldn't be for anyone over 40 or 45. It's too long. It's ridiculous. It's just a, it's just a slog. And it would yeah. be far more, far more esteemed competition to train for and prepare for the half Ironman. And let's call that an Ironman if you're over 50 years old. It, it's, you know, we're, yeah. we're modeling the, the front people when we really shouldn't be. Exactly. And uh, there are more resources. We wouldn't have to go like to this because this is specific for masters. But even the 200, if you say you're doing a 28 second, 200 meter. I mean, that's way past lactate threshold, right? You, you make it 150. Not only that, because... Also, you don't have to compare yourself to your old 200 that you did 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Make it one, we have 150s in, in, in 90% of the stadiums. It's have have master sprinters do 150. It's fun. Anyway, side note, but yeah. Well, so you know what's important about this is the, the workouts. Uh, yeah. So you're not going to change the sport anytime soon, but for the master's athlete listening or the sub elite athlete, like a high school kid whose best time is 24 flat in the 200 or whatever, um, we want to adjust those workouts to respect the energy systems rather than just blindly practicing 400 meter repeats because that's what the, that's what, that's what they're holding on the race. Yeah. And, and, uh, here's some method then. So what most people do is that they start adjusting to their decline. They start to do more aerobic work, which I have an understanding of, but to me, it's like you're giving up a little bit. It's like, I give up. I try to get my athletes faster. So mm. the amount of time they spend, they're further down the track. So far it's working even for masters, right? They get faster, which means they spend less, less time in that area, area um, in that area of deceleration and their muscle fiber clusters turning off. So I, that's, I want to do that for as long as possible. And I mean, I have, for example, I have now um, a 65-year-old athlete. It's the same thing. He came from being, you know, 20 down to actually being number four in Europe because we got him stronger and faster still. 
he comes from long distance, so it was low-hanging fruit for him to be stronger, do more plyometrics then, and then speed. So he's further down the track, and then he can still utilize his natural endurance components in his him doing it. And he's a 400-meter spinner, right? So, But he's further down the track now. You know, we're talking 20 meters, 25 meters, or 15 meters further down the track. And doesn't sound like much, but it's a lot when you're running 400 meters, right? So... I think there's there's so much we can do with speed training and form before we start giving up and, and then it's like, I can't get faster. Now I'll just train my aerobic capacity to be able to handle the last part of the race. Right. And it seems that the goal of getting faster by doing sprints that are shorter and taking more rest might even be less physically stressful and less breakdown when you're talking about a training pattern. Uh, yeah, I say, I'd say it's, I mentioned before putting emphasis on things. So I think everything's going to break you down over a certain amount of time. So if we keep cycling these variables, then we, we are not allowing ourselves to sink too far down in, in one of those components. Say you do, I'll say you do sprint endurance, for example, which means say 120s to 150s to 200s or something like that. And you rep between four to six of those. Uh, that's not very tough for the nervous system mm. compared to running 60 meter max reps, right? So, but it's metabo- metabolically tough because you're creating metabolites and you're creating different ways that the body needs to recover and things from. So over time, cycling these in periods, I think is beneficial for the organism because when you're working one part of this, you're resting the other one, but you cannot only do one thing because you're going to go down that hole too far too. Mm. And so is that a progression over the season or uh, over a a week of chosen workouts or how do you mix those around to, yeah, I think just for the listener to understand, like um, the nervous system is most challenged when you're asking for maximum output and then the energy systems, the aerobic system whatever anaerobic system is more challenged when you're doing a, a badass workout like six times 120 or something yeah absolutely so both so within the micro period say it's one week we'll have different uh components we're working on they can be similar too to get a higher effect so specifically in the beginning when we're not as fast we're not running 95 percent in the beginning we can do two or three or four of those in concession over a certain amount of days uh, but once we get faster you want to split it out a little bit you know we do one speed session and one speed endurance session but that speed endurance session for example can be shorter or longer over a certain amount of weeks so say we do three weeks of short reps 60 meter 80 meter reps with short rest but we don't want to do more than that because then again then we're taxing that energy system too much and you're going to get broken because it still requires you a lot of effort to run 60 meter at a certain percentage so then we start exchanging that for longer things, which will usually make the athlete feel more recovered in, in, in between sessions, but it's tougher for the energy system during that training. Like for example, we, when we start doing the 120s, the first time people are in a dark zone and towards the end, they're in, they're in the darkness and they, you know, you want to vomit, you want to go home and all the stuff. Two weeks later, it's fine, right? Because mm. the body is adapting to the work. And when it's, when you, as a coach, see that they're adapting to it, um, that's when you want to swap it out again, not, you know, to challenge homeostasis so it doesn't stagnate, to give it new stimuli, but also because 
if you start giving the athlete that type of workout and you need to add reps, so you do six and then you do eight, you might do, say you do 10, if you give someone 10, it's mentally and emotionally draining too, because it, they know it's a super hard thing to get through. They need to manage what they eat and they need to really be, have fortitude to go through it. So for a sprinter, it's, it's more fun usually to do maybe 60s or 80s because even though it's short rest out of sprint endurance, because they can utilize different types of form and they can do their you know, maximum output in this custom. So it's the same thing again. You don't want to ruin athletes running 120s, 150s, because they're also going to start adapting to surviving that workout rather than getting faster. You're going to develop mechanics that usually means longer ground contacts because it's, it's mm. just more comfortable running that way mm. to get through. So that it's almost like they're dialing down that maximum output that you need in competition. So that also needs to be compressed and not be too long because again, they're just going around with a lot of metabolites that's running around crazy in the body and they're going to need more lactate resistance to be able to handle those uh, uh, workouts which linger in the body, right? So you, we have to, the modalities have to change constantly. You mentioned ground contact time. So in order to sprint faster, you actually want your foot on the ground for a short duration as possible and then back on the ground as quickly as possible. So um, a lot of people, uh, like uh, uh, a lay person will look at um, leg turnover and, and try to get faster and faster turnover, but I understand that um, even uh, recreational people can have turnover similar to that of a world-class athlete. So it's all about the, um, you know, the, the force production that you put into the ground with each stride and how long that makes your stride is what the the, the true key to sprinting speed is. Yeah, this this is the art of sprinting. This is the difficulty, which is is a complex another paradigm. It's a complex system of how long the stride is and how fast it is, and and that can be divided up in so many pieces and parts. Mm. But basically, uh, speed is velocity across the ground. That's it. Right? How fast does the mass and organism travel? And you'll have, you'll have people that will try to apply more force. You know, it longer on the ground, then you'll have sprinters who will try to apply more turnover, more frequency, mm -hmm. putting down the feet more often. Both of those things are primal, and they're not bad, but we cannot let that override the skill and rhythm and flow. Uh, so that's what we're teaching. Because in my group, we're constantly teaching how to over overcome your own primal senses of what you want to do versus mm -hmm. what you need to do. And as you say, yes, this is true. There's uh, everyone, anyone on the planet can turn over, even little kids and 80-year-old ladies can turn over five strides per second, but they cannot do it at a certain length. That's the difference mm -hmm. between a world-class sprinter and someone who isn't. And your frequency, so to speak, again, the amount of times you put your feet down and your turnover, so to speak, the cadence, which is the technical term, cadence, <clears throat> is most well of course if you have better capability muscle capabilities and tendons that are stiffer to allow you to come off the ground faster mm. that's one thing but it mostly benefits from you being rested because it's resistance that makes you your cadence and turnover difficult when you have a long stride so when your stride is long and you want to turn it over fast what is problematic is if you're not rested, your nervous system is not going to be able to contract and relax the muscles fast enough. And uh, 
there's going to be muscle resistance or, or fascia resistance. Your fascia is going to be full of uh, residue from from you know being sliding across the muscle and inflammation and all this stuff. So the more of that, the, the harder it's going to be for you to to easily turn over, which I think most people that don't do sprinting have experienced when they are when they are run down by training after a lot of weeks and have mm. not recovered. It's like you cannot do it naturally. You have it's almost like you're fighting yourself to get mm. to the positions you need. So and, and but but when you rest it in peak, it's like it's automatic. It's like you can't always feel the ground. My foot's right there. I'm flowing. I'm flying. All this stuff that you feel. So so your turnover is more based on how how rested you are, and that also mm. helps you to practice your art more. That's why you want to be rested when we sprint, because you get to practice how you're supposed to be sprinting. And there's so much going into this, and this is like you know this is five hours of talk just yeah, I have a couple important checkpoints to hit uh, before yeah. we wrap up. But one of them was how um, I first encountered you with that beautiful comment you made on one of my posts saying, hey, wait a second, you should rest even more than I'm, I'm making a post about emphasizing how important it is to rest for a long time if you're doing sprinting. And I'm like, wow, okay, so true sprinting uh, requires incredibly long rest periods. And for anyone socialized to like, mainstream workout programming like your boot camp class or your spin class where they sprint quote unquote for 30 seconds rest for 30 seconds sprint for 30 seconds or you know even my experience going out there and doing short sprints and resting for a minute after a 10 second sprint you said whoa 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 wait a second you got to rest more than that if you want to be a true sprinter so i'd love for you to talk about the importance of the really extreme resting period even after a short effort and perhaps as a as a um, as a follow up question, what if I'm a novice who's not moving that fast to begin with? Do I still need to rest five minutes after doing a, a sixty meter sprint? Yeah, very important topic, and this is incredibly difficult to communicate or relay to people that don't do sprinting because it's hmm. one of the most specific things on the planet you can do as an organism because. High intensity is usually perceived as something that's a, like 80%. So you, say you're doing a, a hit class, H-I-I-I-T class, you know, high intense kind of, mm -hmm. you know, moving around, lifting weights and stuff. You do a circuit and it's high intense and it's like, wow, 80%. But we operate at 95% and up when we are doing speed. It's very hard for any athlete that's not a sprinter to really reach plus 95% in any controlled manner, which we need to do. And we're not looking to be more conditioned. That's the difference. This is not conditioning training. So if we separate that, it's easier to understand because most people work out and train to be conditioned in some way. Yes, we can do. It can be very, very granular about the, the meaning of conditioning. But what I mean that is the aerobic, cardiovascular training, or you know, increasing capacity. That is not speed training. Speed training is the art of sprinting, controlled form to maximize 100, let's take 100 meters, yeah, 204, but 100 meters of sprinting or even shorter than this to be maximal. And we know that the energy systems require time. So say the ATP creatine system for running 60 meters only, max this and it takes you eight minutes to fully recover. This is science. So if you do less than that, you're not going to do speed. It's not going to be optimal mm. for speed. We can shorten that rest to half if you want to do cellular work. 
but then we need to then we need to lower it from like a hundred percent to maybe ninety five, and we which is still really fast, right? But and then and then we're training cellular stuff. So then we can be a little bit more lenient on technique and stuff. But then we need to know that that's the training. So you will not be able to have perfect technique if you are not rested. It's simple as that. You can be close, but you're not going to be perfect. Which is again why this is important because you're going to run one hundred meters. And you need to have a form, you need to distribute your power and your energy and your rhythm and everything, elasticity over 100 meters, which is longer than you can run maximum. So all of this stuff goes back to this, right? So I want to run 100 meters close to maximum. I need a minimum of 10 minutes. So it's simple as that. We know this. You, otherwise, you're gonna, you're, you're, your form's going to get worse mm. because you're going to want to be more efficient with energy. Yeah, if, if you're signaling the mind to, 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 require, to handle more, you're going to get slower, worse technique, and you're going to probably get injured. That's what's going to happen. We are Formula One cars. We're not race, you know, rally cars that you can run or, you know, or even yeah, just use any analogy. Anyway, so, and uh, so the second question was, Oh, and so if someone is really oh, yeah. um, not adapted, they, they, they do right. fitness and they go with those 80% hit workouts, but now they set the goal of getting actually faster and working that top end for all the health and fitness and longevity benefits. Um, and and uh, uh, Dave Dole talks about this. You know the um, the the Swiss. Uh, he's a personal trainer and he used to compete at 100 meters. He had the Swiss national record 10:16 for a while. Um, he says he has clients in his gym where some of them he'll ask them to do a test and and do something for one minute all out, and they'll do it. And then 15 seconds later, they'll say, oh, sh should I do another one now? And he's like, whoa, I, I asked you to go all out, man. You should be laying on the ground. But he says different neurotransmitter profiles and different fitness levels. So let's say someone is is asked to go out there and uh, join your club for a day and, and do a 60-meter sprint at 95%. And they don't, they don't appear to be too winded. And they feel like they can return after a minute because they're in that novice category. Is it is it actually... Um, uh, something to address where, hey, I know you're not uh, that explosive yet, so we don't need to sit around for 10 minutes. We need to do perhaps a different workout. Or does the same rule apply to someone on different fitness level, I guess, is my question. Yeah, it's a great question. But so, yeah, and then it's multifaceted, right? Because at a certain level, it matters. So I say Usain Bolt does a 9.5 and you have someone that does... 14 seconds, mm -hmm. it's going to require more of Usain Bolt at that speed because it's, we are still organisms that are built to 99.9% something, you know, the same. This is going to be more taxing for the nervous system to do a 9.5 than a 14. Yes. But Usain Bolt is much more skilled at that percentage than a new person is. So if I take someone that's a CrossFitter, has great conditioning and, and mm. mixed with power and all this stuff. Uh, if I say, let's do... I go down to that level and say that we do six times 120 or say eight times 120 at 95% for that person, right? So say I do it at a first foot contact. We don't have to talk exactly what it is, but say I do 13 seconds and that person does it at 15. <clears throat> that person is going to be much more tired than me doing it at 15 and I'm doing it at 15 um, because I'm much more skilled at this. Even if I go up to 13, I do my maximum and that person does his maximum, I'm going to be less fatigued mm -hmm. if that person actually does the same percentage mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I am skilled at what I do and I'm conditioned within these energy systems. 
you know, I'll take anybody. We know this as sprinters too. When if we are lay, if we lay off, do a layoff of a year or two or six months or three months, say three months, and we go do same session six times one twenty or one fifty, it's going to be a tough day because it's mm-hmm. so specific. And the same, and they are, you know, the example that you mentioned here. That person is not going to be able to do the same intensity on set set two. They might think so, but they're not. And this is where a good coach, a good eye, and a good internal uh, analyzing is needed to see that. Like, okay, if I go, if I go uh, above my or at my level, you know, this this is a perfect distribution over this over the reps. But if I go too hard, and I think I'm because I'm not winded, which we're not using as much anyway, we use that as a system too. I'm going to get in trouble towards the end of the session, which again, I'm going to get worse technique and I'm, you know, going to try to power through with lactate and all this stuff. And it's not the stimuli I want to, to do is not the same anymore. So Mm. that's why it's so specific. So I hope I'm answering this right. So Mm -hmm. yes, at an extent, this is correct, but at the same time, someone is not very skilled. I don't want to kill them on the track and just half the rest because they haven't run as fast. It's much less, uh, of a difference than this, right? So they're, even though, because they're still running at their, I, I would still not run them, you know, at their maximum capacity still when they're so early. So I yeah. back them down, and I, you know, will monitor it. But but it's not that much of a difference. It's better to do a progression where, when the athlete starts becoming comfortable with this type of workout, in the beginning of the session, we can do less uh, rest, and then we add a little every rep. To make sure mm-hmm. they keep form and, and and so forth, so you don't always have to do ten minutes, you know, for ten one hundred meters. Doesn't have to be that. We can come down in the beginning and then add towards the end, uh-huh. and depending on how they have to do this, there's no magical one minute exactly. It's just just to be safe, right? This is great stuff. I, I guess I would maybe I should finish up asking if someone's at a decent level of fitness and uh, wants to. Uh, pursue this new objective of becoming truly fast and powerful and explosive and, and throwing in some some true sprinting practice into uh, whatever other workouts are currently in the in the routine how would you take someone gently from a starting point if they if they showed up to practice and said hey I'm uh, I, I do some CrossFit I, I, I've run a 5k I, I ride my bike I, I do this I do that now I want to sprint what would be kind of a, a gateway pattern of uh, workouts to to build some competency and then uh, continue down that path. I'm just a huge believer and a practitioner of short too long. And that's a, mm-hmm. there's two classic ways of going around how to teach sprint athletes. And you do long to short or short too long. And that refers to the amount of meters that you train per repetition uh, in the beginning of the season, so to speak, towards the end of the season. So short too long, even though I hybridize it. I have to say, I hybridize within the percentages, so we don't have to go into detail, but uh, I am a firm believer of teaching good mechanics and, and, and form, and you do that easier, training short distances first, which also teaches more speed. It, it programs more speed. And then as the athlete is more comfortable with performing as I want them to, I progress them longer so they can keep their form longer. Mm. And then the opposite would be you do a lot of long work stuff to work in a lot of cap- 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 uh, capacity. Uh, and then you start compressing it towards the end of the season to be more specific towards the end of the season, which is more of a long sprinter type of method. Uh, but different athletes and coaches have found success with 
both systems, but I prefer this. So I'd keep that short, teach them form and technique. Mm. And then when I see they can handle it injury free and then, you know, they run accordingly to towards what I wanted to do, then we can start increasing the, the length. But I mean, there's more, there's more variables. So I'd start them with very few reps. Let's do three times mm-hmm. 60. Let's start with that. Yeah, it doesn't feel like anything. Yeah, but that's enough for now. And then we'll, next time we'll do mm-hmm. four and then five and then six and so forth. And yeah. And then we do, sure. so when we increase it to 80, then we go back to three. And then we do four and five and six and so forth. So these funnels of increased distance and, and uh, reps. So you've had a pretty fantastic season with multiple world records and championships. And now uh, take us through your off season and how your how your patterns change and then your goals for 2024. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, we, we all go back to building components that are going to help us later in the season, which is a little bit more capacity. It's a little bit more aerobic. Uh, it's a little bit more volume with lower intensities. And we work on things that are not as specific. That said, I don't do a traditional GPP as in our general prep phase. I mm. I don't go out and uh, do cross country stuff or do miles or anything. I, I do a plyometric type base or an athletic base where we do a lot of low level plyometrics, jumps, uh, gymnastic type jumps with movements to challenge the brain. Um, well, we do, you know, we do some hill sprints, short hill sprints we do more tempo races which is the low intense stuff we do it's 60 to 80 percent and uh you know we do our 200s and our 300s in in rep with very short rest you know mm-hmm. uh back in the gym a lot which i enjoy uh, and try to to build the components that will increase my max strength and power later on so what's on what's on tap for 2024 you're going for the 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 nationals again uh to, to mix in with the young guys and then I guess there's some big events for, for masters where you're going to be, uh, going for your titles and records. Absolutely. I, I, uh, am very motivated from the results I've got now. So what I've done now is just come back and look through all the programming again and see where we can squeeze out more juice without getting injured. So I'm hoping that we will do that. I'm shifting up a little bit of here, a little bit of there, small things in here that will, you know, get me to where I want. Definitely looking at breaking the world record again. I set a goal for myself at six six seventy eight. It's it's a huge goal, but I think I can do it. Yeah, That's indoor awesome. sixty meters, people. Yeah, indoor sixty meter. Yeah, and I'm yeah. gonna do sub twenty two in the two hundred. I think it was slated already this year to do it indoors. The problem was, uh, first of all, I had a pneumonia, which uh. screwed me over for a long time, and it also wasn't helpful in the two hundred. But also in the two hundred indoors, the, you need to get a good track, and you need to be able to do all these things and. Uh, I actually broke it to edit 22, 23 indoors. And I did that on day five of the world championship. So my legs were pretty dead as they mm. were. Uh, so I think I have more in me. Uh, mm. I started a little bit too late with the 200. So I'm going to do that earlier this time and, and really go to the places where they have the, you know, the good tracks and everything. Mm-hmm. So those two world records are going to be big for me. Uh, and then we're going back to Poland in Turin, which is the European Championships again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a world championship last year there. It's an excellent, excellent stadium or an indoor facility they have. So looking forward to that. It's a little long, though. It's the end of March. It's a long season, but uh, mm-hmm. this is what we do. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. And then where's the big Masters World Outdoors 
next year? Yeah, so it's in in my home country of Sweden. It's in oh. south of Sweden, or you know, the uh, west of Sweden. It's uh, Gothenburg, southwest. All right. Yeah, so it's 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 going to be incredible. We think it's going to be the best one so far, and uh, looking forward to being in my own country. Oh my gosh, how exciting! Lion Martinez, such a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. I look forward to keeping in touch with you and watching your great exploits as well as your the athletes that you coach, which is so wonderful that you're 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 building a whole a, a dynasty over there. Um, tell the listeners where they can keep up with you and and follow your information and your exploits. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much, Brad, for your time and inviting me. Uh, you know, I more and more follow your post. I think. You're onto some really, really amazing, amazing things. Uh, always spot on. So, good work uh, for me, uh, Lion Martinez at Instagram. Pretty simple. Follow me there, and uh, you'll see more of what I'm, what I'm doing, and about what I'm up to this uh, following season. Well, Lion Martinez, everybody, thanks for listening. Da, da, da. I'm pleased to present B-Rad Grass-Fed Whey Protein Isolate Superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners, especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the super fuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. Thank you so much for listening to the BRAD podcast. We appreciate all feedback and suggestions. Email podcast at bradventures.com and visit bradkerns.com to download five free ebooks and learn some great long cuts to a longer life how to optimize testosterone naturally, become a dark chocolate connoisseur, and transition to a barefoot and minimalist shoe lifestyle.